0: You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.Acts2Orlando.com. Yeah, so Andrew, we're excited to hear you uh, minister today, guys. Just extend your hands here. We just thank you for the anointing, the gift that's upon you. We just speak fresh revelation, and we just speak God's fun all over you right now. Just fresh injection of his goodness in Jesus' name. All right, brother. All right. Amen. Merry Christmas. Ah, yes. How many were here or were there last night at Crane's Roost? Let me see your hands. God, that was so much fun. That was so much fun. Julia and the team just killed it with those ornaments and prophesying over people and giving artwork that was communicating the heart of God and something visual. It was so much fun. And every time I looked, there was a line. I don't think it really ever stopped. There was a line all night long. And we had three tables with it going. So there was a lot happening there. For those of you who missed it, it was pretty much awesome. Except for one part. No, it was awesome, too. Did did any of you guys notice, like, on the marquees down the street, they had the names of those people performing? Did anybody notice that? And it had acts to choir. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we were all like scrambling to try to find robes and, you know, learn how to do this and sing like this. No, we didn't do that. We, I thought it was funny, though. We get up there, and they were correct about one thing. It was Acts 2, but it definitely was not a choir. But if you if you didn't see it, it was so much fun. They had an empty spot uh, for somebody that had canceled, and so they asked us to jump in there and do it. I don't think they knew what they were getting. Honestly, but it was so much fun. It felt like everything was a performance. But when we got up there, we just had everybody join in with us and it just was a it was a great old time. So we're going to see. We'll see if they invite us back. That's the true test right there. Right. We'll see if they invite us back. So much fun. But thank you, Julia, for organizing that and just leading us through that. Christiana for being a part of it. So good. So good. All right. Uh, Last week. Um, I talked about the Incarnation, specifically posed the question, why the Incarnation? Uh, Why did Jesus come? Why was it that he had to come in bodily form? And there was a lot in last week, and I felt like I really didn't get done with it. So I'm going to give you the other half of it, okay? We're going to talk a little bit more. You guys all right with that? Yeah, I feel like there's a... We miss a lot in the Christmas season. And I'm not talking about Christmas and its meaning... Uh, Being taken away because it's been so commercialized I'm talking about just we as believers sometimes I don't know if we put as much value into the incarnation as we really we really should It's a it's a miraculous mysterious wonder-filled Thing that God himself would do that Take on the form of man So we talked a little bit about that, but I want to talk some more about it But I feel like I need to teach a little bit this morning. Okay now Nobody said okay, okay? (laughs) Okay, I feel like I need to teach. Now, this is not my primary gift, um, but I can do it sometimes. But I'm going to try to teach a little bit. Uh, I'm going to talk about stuff, just historical, historical church context, and I want to bring that in. But um, anybody in here, you like like philosophy ideologies? You like to listen to that? Anybody in the room? Okay, everybody else can leave. And no, I'm just kidding. No, we'll try to make it relatable. I just I like listening to that stuff. I like listening to. Just different ideas, different approaches, different different ways of looking at things. And some of it, recently, I've been reading. And anybody ever heard of, like, the ancient fathers and the mystics? Yeah. yeah. I've been reading some of that stuff, which is just powerful. Maximus the Confessor. Anybody ever heard of him? Not many people hear about these guys, but they're, they're profound, profound people way back in the early, early church. Maximus the Confessor. He was so prolific in preaching the gospel and making writings about Jesus. And he was a theolog- he was a theologian, really. And he wrote a lot and he spoke a lot, so much so that Rome hated him. They eventually cut his tongue out and cut his right hand off because they didn't like what he was saying and they didn't like what he was writing. But we've got some wonderful stuff in him and many others. So I want to talk a little bit about early church, what it looked like, and what it means for us. We'll try to bring it into current times and what it looks like for us, because I'm discovering something, that we don't remember history well enough, and so what ends up happening is we repeat it. It's sad, it's sad, but there's a lot of things that happened in history that if we could just take note of them and see what happened and choices that were made, ideas that came out, ideas have consequences, right? Can I get an amen to that? Ideas have consequences to them. That some of them created consequences to it, and I watch it over history as I read. It just happens again and again and again. I would like to see the church wake up to the true one and living God that's always communicating. And if we listen to it, I really do believe this, that if we really listen to what he's doing and what he's saying for us in the moment, we can break those cycles. And we can actually see culture shift because the church will rise up. It happened in the early church. Church was so powerful. As a matter of fact, a little tidbit here if you didn't know this. Do you know why um, in some churches, and high churches, they wear robes? Does anybody ever wonder how that came about? Because I don't know that it was ever talked about in scripture and there's nothing wrong with it. It just is something that's gotten, gotten into the early church. It came from early Rome. Ooh, I'm going to knock that down. It came from early Rome when... They were noticing that the Christians in the first and second century were so amazing at handling disputes, living together, being community, providing for each other, that they said to the Christian community, Rome did, they said, We need to bring some of your people into our courts and help us with disputes because you solve things so quickly. And when they brought them into the court, what do you see a judge wear? A robe. And it just kind of moved its way out of the courts back into the church. Nothing wrong with that. I think it's a cool thing. But, you know, it's supposed to be neutrality. That's the whole idea behind it. But I, I thought it was a cool thing. But I look at that stuff, and I'm like, I, I like knowing those things. You guys like knowing that kind of stuff? I like knowing little things like that. But as I look at that, I really discover a lot of things that kind of make me sad. And so I don't want to talk sad. I want to bring us out of sad, and let's bring us into something joyous, all right? Yeah. Somebody give me an amen in the room. Hallelujah! Yes, Hallelujah. I like it. There is there is this lie that has affected the church, and it's still affected the early church, and it's made it cycle again, and it's affecting the church now. When I say the church now, I'm talking about in the last two or three hundred years. Even this is not just recently. It's this thing called dualism. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say dualism? Now, you know, dual means two, right? Yeah. So it's this, it's an ideology. It's a philosophy. And how many of you understand sometimes you can carry a philosophy and not know that you're carrying it because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. But yet it comes out in the way we live when we don't even know why we're living that way. So there's this thing that has creeped into the church called dualism. And it's, it's really a sad thing. It's a, it, it says that there's a separation between what is natural and what is spiritual. There is a separation between humanity and God. I think that's where the, the worst effect happens. There's a, there's a separation that we build into how we relate to God in our spirituality. And I see it happen a lot. And I think it was just the wisdom of God. It was the kindness of God. It was the, just the miraculous way God works that he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take myself no beginning, no end. God is spirit, right? The word says God is spirit. I'm going to take myself and I'm going to insert myself into humanity. We talked last week about how people say God is outside of time. Well, I don't disagree with it, but I would much rather say God is not restricted by time because he inserted himself into it in the incarnation in Jesus, right? Subjected himself to absolutely everything we experience. He came as a baby, which means he had to grow up, which means he inserted himself into time. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of just wigs me out to think about that, how he would condescend to that extent. But he needed to do that. And the incarnation for me is so important because if we don't understand that, we will remain living in this dualistic kind of thinking that God is over there and we're over here and we're going to spend the rest of our life trying to connect with him. It's sad when when the whole picture Emmanuel God with us God has listen church we man has never been able to find his way to God ever but God always finds his way to man always he's the mediator of a new covenant he's the one that makes it all happen right so this dualistic thinking all over the church. It's a heresy, and somehow it still lives in the church. So I want to talk about that a little bit. It comes from an ancient Greek belief that creation is somehow bad. Matter is evil. Pleasure is evil. The flesh is evil. That's sad, isn't it? Now, I know we know better, but hopefully today, as much as I want anything else, what I want to do is I want to provo- provoke some thought, I want all of us to learn how to have a think. Analyze, meditate, look at, where, is, where do I live in a place of dualism in my own life? Where do I live where I see myself living separate from God or at least thinking things that keep me separated from him? So since things are all evil, the only the things of the spirit or spiritual has any value. It started infiltrating the church So the letter of 1 John, everybody know 1 John, right? Andrew just referred to it. As he is, so are we in this world. That entire letter of 1 John was written approximately 50 years after Jesus' resurrection. So just think about this in the timeline for a moment. There's Jesus resurrected now, however old somebody was. Say they were 30 years old at that point. So they're going to be 80 years old about the time this thing is written. So a lot of people still had the context of understanding what the resurrection was. Witnesses to it. But this thing of Gnosticism, this thing of knowing, that's a big word, isn't it? Everybody say Gnosticism. It's a fun word to say. Have no idea what it means. No, Gnosticism means that you you have a special kind of knowledge that you can get to that only comes through the Spirit, and that you separate yourself so much from the world and everything of the world that you become kind of like, almost like, kind of like what the Pharisees were. It's kind of like that, like we're holy because we have some special revelation, we have some position, we know something you don't know and so we're better. And you guys are evil because you're living in this world right here and you're entertaining everything that has to do with the flesh. Food is evil. Anything that had to do it was, was bad. So 1 John was a letter to return to true Christology and bring awareness of who he is and his person. It was written to combat that heresy of Gnosticism and the dualism that developed it. Gnosticism believed salvation could only be found through special knowledge. God, how terrible is that? That would mean people like me who aren't that smart couldn't access salvation. If it's only accessible through special kind of knowledge, I'm not, I mean, if I put myself on the spectrum of like really, really super intelligent and, and down here, I'm like double digit IQ kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's not something I can, I don't know that I, I would spend the rest of my life striving and striving and striving and trying to get that at and never be able to do it. You can see how evil that is. Gnosticism believed that the God of redemption was separate from the God of creation. Did you hear that? The God of redemption, they believed in the God of redemption. They believed in Jesus. But he was separate from the God of creation because creation was evil. They said Gnostics would go around and say, Jesus never really came in the flesh. He was always spirit that kind of manifested and we could see him, but he never really came in the flesh. Because according to that belief, he couldn't have, right? Because the flesh is evil. Have you guys ever like found this to be true in the church, that there's certain things that is just get called evil? When they're not, God creates them for us. Did you know God's design for you from the very beginning for mankind was Pleasure. That's what Eden means. Garden of Eden, that's what Eden means. It means pleasure or voluptuous living. That's how it translates. Our intention was to live like this. But there's some kind of that that dualism, Gnosticism that still gets into the church and it says, these things over here are evil, these things over here aren't. And you understand what I'm saying. For some people, it might not be a good thing. Hello? Other people is totally fine. Right? Some people don't have televisions in their home because that's just not where God has them. Other people have 15. Right? We got one outside. We got one inside. No, we have two inside. We just have two inside. So there's three of them around our house. Some people can't have them at all. Why? Is television evil? No, it's not. But things get put into categories like that. I know we would never do that in here, but things get put into categories like that 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 is evil, this isn't. I feel like that's so sad because if we live in that kind of dualistic nature, we miss out on two things. We miss out on the beautiful creation of God. That we were created to enjoy these things. Where do you think the tech people got the idea of television? God. Where do you think surgeons get their wisdom and their capability? God. Let me give you an example of what dualism does in the church when it comes to healing. You ready? Here's dualistic thinking. Well, you just got to pray to be healed. We're going to pray and we're going to believe that you're healed. Yes, this is true. We do this all the time, all the time. Andrew was doing it this morning. We do it all the time. We believe that this is what Jesus has purchased for us. Absolute, perfect, all-encompassing salvation and healing that goes along with it. Now, in the church, we would say that, yeah, I believe in healing. But here's a dualistic thing. Well, if you go to a doctor, you don't have any faith. Wow. Is this making sense? Yeah. This is where that dualistic thinking comes in. And I, I talk to people like that, and I'm like, man, how don't ever put that on somebody. All you did was put them in a place where they feel like they have to strive harder and harder and harder to get to something that was given to them for free. And where did the doctor get his wisdom? It's the grace of God. This is the beauty, the miraculous working of God in the planet that he gives himself in different forms and fashions, different aspects of himself to humanity so I can enjoy it. How many in here are music fans? You have artists that you like, right? You know what? God created that person to create what they do so you can enjoy it. Well, Andrew, they may not be Christians. They don't put out Christian music. Dualism. Is this connecting so far? Dualism. Every person, listen to this. This is going to mess with your heads a little bit. Every person on this planet has been created in the image of God. Every person, every person on this planet has been created in the image of God. It's like God put his thumbprint on them. And they walk around, whether they believe in Jesus or whether they don't, they still are created by God and represent him. What about those evil people? What about those on death row? What about those who are like serial murderers? Yeah, God created them too, and he created them in his image. What's happened is Satan has gotten in and distorted God's original intent. Hello? I've heard people say this about people who do evil things. There's recently another thing that happened, a shooting thing that happened. to parents were involved. I don't know all the details on it, but we look at that and we tend to go, that's evil. They're evil people. No, they're not. Did they do, do something evil? Yeah, absolutely. But the minute I start saying they are evil, dualism. Because God doesn't see him like that. Come on, is this hurting a little bit? What does this do? It frees us up, not to do what we want, but to enjoy what God has created for us. The freedom I experience in God, the Son has set us free. If the Son has set you free, you're free. What? Indeed, if the Son has set you free, it's never to do whatever you want. It's to live according to the word and not have any hindrances, not have any obstacles in your life so you can be an accurate representation of Jesus in the planet. That's what your freedom is for. Some people drink beer. Some people don't. We decide dualism, it's evil. Dualism is also saying it's not evil. Hello? It's what God created. I heard someone say one time, alcohol is just evil at its core because you know, before Noah, there was a canopy over the earth. I heard somebody actually say this once. There was a canopy over the earth and nothing would ferment. And it's true. Well, you know the story what happened when Noah ended up drinking some, they made a little hooch and they didn't know it was hooch. <laughs> he ends up drinking it and getting drunk And naked in his tent, right? And you know how the, you know, you know the story, right? So, so somebody says, no, I don't want to tell you. You can go read it. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Listen, if we really buy into this dualism thinking and we even look at literature like that, come on, my God, the Bible has stuff in it that's like, what the heck? Did I just read that? Did I just read that description about Egyptians and certain part of anatomy about them that's like, yes, it's in there. You hear what I'm saying, right? But we tend to look at things like that and go, well, that's evil over there. Well, I don't know. It may be a subject that's not really healthy. That could be true. But I still cannot throw it out. I still have to look at it and go, all of creation, everything that has been made still has God's thumbprint on it. It just gets hijacked. It gets hijacked. Deception comes in and it starts being used for something that is not right, something that is not productive. Let me put it that way. All right, I've said enough about that. I'm gonna keep moving here. So First John, you still with me? Hello. First John, he writes this and he starts off because remember, you're dealing with these Gnostics. You're dealing with people who say, Jesus didn't really, he didn't really come in the flesh. So he starts by, I mean, he just right out of the gate. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested. I had to look up that word manifest. I mean, I know what it means, but I wasn't sure. There might be a different definition. And it said this, clearly seen and perceived by the senses. It's not just eyes, it's smell. It's touch, it's hearing. Come on, we're talking about God as a human. And he has to bring it right back to him out of the gate. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. You know what that tells me? This Gnosticism, dualism, ideology that creeped into the church made people very sad because he's having to counter it with this and he's saying, I'm saying this so that your joy might be full. Can you imagine living in that Gnostic realm where everything on the planet is evil? Come on. How sad is that? All of God's creation, you miss out on it because you categorize it live in this dualist, dualistic nature. Dualism has influenced our current day Christianity more than we think. I've talked about that a little bit already. It has created, listen, it has created an us and them. Insiders and outsiders. Wicked and righteous. And this stuff still gets into the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I I sometimes am around people or something will happen and I will experience something from somebody that is not necessarily, like, kind. Right? Anybody else? You drive a lot on the highway. Right? Right? Some people just going out of their ever-loving mind. People that, like, I'll be sitting at, or I'll be driving down a road, and you see somebody sitting at a, a red light where they want to turn right onto the road the same direction I'm going, because that's legal, right? Come to a full stop, and then you can make a right turn. And they start out in front of you. Like, it's like, I have to do this. And I look in my rearview mirror and there's nobody there. Like two seconds, bro. Two seconds. I'd have been past you, man. You know, right. You know, it's like, but this is, but I can get upset about that. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, that was dumb. Some guy came, I was behind somebody the other day and it was going down Sand Lake Road, which is right off our house. And when you get to the end of Sand Lake Road, where 436 is, 434, sorry, they put these like white things in the road permanent so you can't like turn around right there and you can't come from the street across into it they put them there you know what this guy's doing turning the car and i'm right behind him and i'm just going i'm looking at him he's like you know like like i know i'm an idiot but you know (laughs) at least i'm smiling here's what I'm saying. I can look at that and I can live in a dualistic kind of thinking and not see the value that God has for them because they did something that affected me. There's a challenge for us. How often can we still see an individual as God sees the individual when they've done something to us that was just like, and that's nothing. I'm talking about traffic. We just like then need to return to a high Christology the awareness of who he is in his person, and his person and his acts are one and the same. Um, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name, and forget not any of his benefits, right? It goes on a little bit further, and it's got this verse in there that is so like feels out of place to me, but the description is wonderful. And it's this kind of thing I'm talking about right here. It's talking about the people, people of Israel. And it makes this statement. It says, the people of Israel knew my acts, but Moses knew his ways. This is dualism. When we see Jesus as someone who does acts, we see the miraculous as something separate from his person, a miraculous Encounter is an encounter with him. There's no separation because Israel knew his acts, Moses knew his ways. Moses really understand how to, how to commune with God because they just, they knew it was God, but all they saw was the acts. To see beyond the acts and to be able to see into the ways of God, come on, who wants that? Those are the things that I pray about that I want to see. I want to see the miraculous, but not just when I see the miraculous happen. I want to know and talk to God and say, God, tell me your heart behind that. I know it's because you love. I know the general thing. I know it's because you love, but there's something beyond that. There's something deeper than that. I want to find out what your ways are in this. Come on, are you with me? Because I don't want to live in that dualistic kind of Living, see the acts of God and then just walk away and go, man, he did it, but it was miraculous and whatever and not really learn that, man, that is connected to him. He just manifested himself. Somebody gets healed. I don't care, church, if it's a headache and you pray for them and they get healed. That is no different than stage four cancer getting healed. That is still an entrance, an intersection with God into humanity yet again. No dualism. No dualism. So incarnation, how does this connect? He, if he is the message, he is the word. He's not a doctrine. He's a person. He got dirty. He got sweaty. He needed to take baths. I bet he had food preferences. I'm, I'm totally, fully, fully, completely human. Does this hurt? Some people don't like that because Jesus was holy. Yeah, he was. You better, better believe it. Never lost his divinity for a moment. But he was also fully man. I would really like to know, what were the things that made him laugh? You know, can you imagine him? He's hanging out with his friends. He's young. Maybe he's 10, 11, 12 years old. He's working with his dad in a carpenter shop. They're making chairs. And his dad has to like, you know, like, I don't know. You want to go play? Go play. He goes out there and he plays. He's hanging out with his friends. What are they doing? What did he really enjoy? There had to be something because he was fully, fully, fully human. Amen? John 1, 1 through 3. We know this one. In the beginning, the living expression. This is Passion Translation. In the beginning, the living expression. And I had to look up the note on this because if you ever read um, the Passion Translation, Brian Simmons is like the chief editor in this, and he's drawing from Greek language hebraic language he's drawing also from the aramaic because jesus most likely would have spoken aramaic so he's drawing from that so he takes these things and he kind of melds them together and this was the expression or living expression is what they came up with how many of you guys know in new king james what it says in the beginning was the the word right i like this i like that that's accurate but the living expression the highest principle of cosmic order. The Greeks, the Romans, the Jews all had this in common, that what was important, the word, the word, not, they didn't think Jesus, they thought the word, the the highest principle of cosmic order, and here he, he comes and he enters into it. In the beginning, the living expression was already there, and the living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were, that sounds weird, doesn't it? He was with God, yet fully God. That doesn't demean him and think that he's less than. Uh, can I, oh man, I feel a bunny path. Do not ever, ever let somebody tell you that there's a hierarchy in the Trinity. That somehow God is more holy than Jesus because Jesus came to this earth and Jesus took on sin. So it, so it, it, it reduced him. Nope, nope. There's no argument there's no hierarchy god is jesus jesus is god god is holy spirit spirit is jesus jesus is holy spirit holy spirit is god different expression he is god so when he's writing this this is what he's coming to he's saying that he was with god yet fully god with god intimates that you're like kind of close right standing next to each other he's like oh he was with god no he was god they were together face to face You know what's interesting? In the Hebrew, they don't have a word for presence. You know how we like, we love the presence of God. We just love the presence of God, right? The presence of God dwelt on the ark inside the tabernacle, right? That's where the presence of God said. You know, they don't have a word for that. They don't call it presence anyway. They have a word. You know what it translates? Face to face. Presence meant face to face. Whenever they were talking about it, it was face to face. Isn't that awesome? It tells me that there was an intention inside of God from the very beginning to not be distant, but to be face-to-face. If they understood it, presence, but they translated it like that, they understood at least there was a desire in God's heart to never be a distant God. Every other God, distant. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things. Everybody say made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. That blows dualism out of the water. The living expression made all things, for nothing has existence apart from him. You wanna you wanna get to the whole us and them mentality for a second? Acts. Do you have that? Did I give you that acts passage? I think I did. Acts 17, 28. Let me give you context for this. Paul is traveling around and he comes to, I think it was in Athens actually, gets to the Areopagus, this place where it's like this, all the wonderful minds gathered together because they like to talk about different philosophies. They gathered in a place close to where their temples were. A lot of their idols existed. And here's Paul. He's walking around in the midst of this and he's looking at it. And he sees an idol with the inscription that says to the unknown God. Even humanity, in the middle of its idolatry, acknowledges, without knowing, it's acknowledging it that there is something superior to the unknown God. They had all kinds of gods. Why didn't they just name another god for the thing that they needed? I need a god for um, I need a god for shoes. I need a god for I don't know hats. I need a god. You know that's what a lot of them did, especially the Greeks. They created a god for each thing that they needed. Wait, get into Hinduism. You talk about creating gods. Oh my gosh. I don't even think there's a, they can count them at this point. There's so many of them. So he's walking around. If you can just get this for a moment, he's walking around in an area where all the like philosophers would be. They would meet. This is where high ideals, it's like a think tank, if you would. This is where they would gather. This is what they would talk about. He sees this idol It says, to the unknown God. And I don't know. I really want to know what happened. But as he starts connecting with these guys, he goes, with these guys up here, he says, I, oh, that, you have a, I saw this. All these idols you have, I saw this one that says, to the unknown God, I'm going to tell you who that is. I'm going to tell you who that is. And he begins to talk about how what he created is absolutely held together by him. And he has this statement in 1728. And listen, he's talking to unbelievers, okay? He's talking to unbelievers. He says, for in him, we live and move and have our being dualism will read a passage like that and say oh well they're unbelievers we're the believers he's talking about the ones who believe wrong in him we live and move and we have our being are you seeing this you catching this it's real easy to take passages just like this one right here with dualism with a dualistic thinking and make compartments of well the believers belong here and the unbelievers belong here that is so sad There are unbelievers and there are believers. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. And there is ramifications for unbelief. Condemnation. John 3 says that. He who does not believe is condemned already, right? There is ramifications for unbelief, but it doesn't make them something else. He says, in him we live and we move and we have our being. I'm trying to describe to you this invisible God, this God that you can't see. I'm trying to describe to you who he is. I mean, What I'm telling you is the very fact that you're breathing, the very fact that you're looking, seeing, hearing, all of that exists because of this God I'm telling you about right here. I would say that's a pretty superior God, wouldn't you? Colossians 1.15, it gets worse. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Everybody say firstborn over all creation. Do you remember what we talked about last week? Jesus, or Nicodemus, coming, who was a religious leader, came to Jesus at night because he was scared. He was afraid of whatever his friends might say, that he was talking to Jesus. He comes to him, and Jesus is talk to him, talking to him, and almost like he's talking to him in riddles. And he says, unless someone be born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And we know that born again is not the best translation. It literally is born what? From above. That is the translation. That's literally what it says. Not born again. It says born from above. And we talked about Mary, Holy Spirit coming. It says, Holy Spirit will come and he will what? Hover over you. Supernaturally, she gets pregnant by the Holy Spirit, right? He came from above. He says it right here again. These are things we, miss, we gloss over a lot. All things were created through him. No, oh, wait, back up. He is the image of the invisible God. The what? First born. Well, what about Adam? Well, Adam wasn't born, right? And Adam didn't come from above. He was made from dirt. I heard someone like to point this out one time. Adam was made from dirt. Eve was made from the rib. The word says... Adam was made from dirt. Eve was fashioned from the rib. And from that point on, women have been into fashion. (laughs) It's a joke, but I don't know. I think there might be a little something in there. I don't know. But you see what he's saying here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. There's your born again, church. We have our experience with God. But born again happened way before you believed. He's the vicarious man. We have to identify him in all aspects of his life. If we don't, that makes us something other than, and we are not other than. We love to identify with his death, his burial, his resurrection. Sometimes we like to talk about his ascension, but we leave out this thing of the incarnation. He is the firstborn over all creation. He was the last Adam. He was the one that came in and redeemed and rectified and brought it all right back into order. God had to do that. The one he created in the beginning fell. The one he sent, God gave us his son, right? Unto us a child is born. Unto us the Son is given. It's not just that it was a child. The Son of God came, and he came in that that form. He is the firstborn. Are you guys with me? He is the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Uh, It's kind of comprehensive when I read that. That's pretty pretty comprehensive there. Can I just throw something in here? Sure, Andrew. When people start talking about thrones and dominions and principalities and powers, this is our charismatic world that we live in. It's more like voodoo than it is Christianity. People, will, I've heard people do this. They'll be driving, I saw a principality hovering over that building in downtown Orlando. And they get kind of freaked out about it. And they're like, we need to pray against that principality. I'm like, dude, I know the head of all principalities, so I'm not too worried about that one. If God showed you something, it's for you to release it, not sit there and battle with it. That's a different message. Our one true God has never, ever been separated from creation, even before the incarnation. We said this last week. He's the Lamb of God. Romans 13 says he's the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. I've heard that my whole life, and I still don't understand it. I mean, I understand it, but I don't understand it, right? Maybe somebody who does can explain it to me. He was the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, So if he was slain before the foundation of the world, something had to have existed. If it was in God's heart, I don't know. In his mind, I don't know. But something had to have existed. Ephesians 1 says this. You ready for some good news? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before he said, let there be light, he said, let there be you. It was in his heart the entire time. What that tells me is it originated in God's heart for people to be the main thing. And creation was created for us. Got quiet in here. Even creation itself, and again, I don't understand this. Even creation itself was not a one-off occurrence. Remember when they sent the Hubble Space Telescope out there and they started looking through it and they're starting to freak out. They're going, the universe is expanding no, I don't know how they calculate that. I don't know what they do. I mean, how do you measure that? I don't know. But I'll leave that to people who are really smart. But the universe keeps expanding. When God speaks something, it doesn't stop right there. It keeps moving. Aren't you glad? what that tells me is it wasn't like god said let there be light let there be earth night and day animals let's make man okay now we're going to make beans okay over here we're going to make corn and it's it's like we think sometimes that he does that and it ended like that and it just in its natural state it reproduces humanity in its natural state reproduces if you know anything about how humans get pregnant it's a miracle it's a miracle People say things like, yeah, babies are miracles. Yes, you better believe it. They are. It's a miracle how it happens. That, the ongoing creativity of God just keeps flowing more and more and more. There's a, but dualistic, dualistic thinking will say, no, he created it. Now we're, we're responsible. Hello? And leave him out of the picture. It's ongoing because we already read this. He's the sustainer of all life, right? In him we live, and move, and have our being. Ephesians 1.10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. In one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth. Do you hear what's happening here? It says that he wants to gather together. Why did he need to gather it? Because there was a separation. What happened? Come on. Not a a trick question. What happened? What happened that caused the separation? Sin, Adam, Eve, right? His gathering together though was not him at a distance and we're standing here. It was us at a distance coming and gathering. You You see the picture here. He's gathering into himself humanity. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. I have to give you scripture like this because I'm not that smart, and hopefully you can go read it, and have a think, and go through it yourself. Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things. And we for Him and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we live. You get the you get the idea, right? Dualism is can't handle union. I think this is why we end up, and it still infects the church, is because somewhere even in our minds, we can't handle union. What do you mean, Andrew? God bringing us into himself. We can't handle it. We're so much more aware of what we experience on this planet that the superior reality gets lost that we are seated with him in heavenly places, That gets lost. We start thinking and believing that because of what I experience on this earth, there must be a separate thing between heaven and earth. And yes, there is. But there's a reason why he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Because his desire is not for separation. Living in dualism causes that kind of separation. We end up, we do, we end up with like the, the most mystical things that can't fully be understood like the incarnation, get twisted. And we have to create another reality because it does not make sense to my human mind that God would come in the form of humanity, take on humanity and absorb humanity into himself. I was kind of tongue in cheek as I was thinking about this, but here's here's one of the distortions that happens with some of the mystical events in Christianity. Ready? Christmas. Right? Right? It's kind, of like, it, it's kind of like something. It's got a hint of like the whole Christian thing because it's gift-giving time, right? And God gave his son. So there's that gift thing, but it's, it's there, but it gets twisted just a little bit. We have Christmas, the incarnation of God. It becomes a story about a jolly fat overeater who thinks he's God, obsessed with good and bad behavior, and has to make a list and then check it twice because he can't remember anything. It's no longer God, it's no longer Jesus, it's a guy in a red suit. Why do we do things like that? We can't handle union. We have to create something that makes sense to our own finite understanding. Instead of, listen, church, living in the mystery, living in the mystery, till something happens inside, where you might get a glimpse of it, a piece of it, but something happens inside, but when it hits you, it's so strong, it's so powerful, it never leaves. This is why I'm enamored with this whole thing of the incarnation. I'm like, I need to know more about this. I have understood some things and I'm like blown away by it, but man, I can't leave this alone. The mystery, the depth of it, what's involved in it, what it would mean if I fully believed it. I believe Jesus came as a man, but if I really believed that he took on humanity, if he took on all of us and brought us into him. Here's another one, the resurrection. We all love the resurrection, right? The Conqueror of Death, Hell and the Grave, becomes a story about the spring equinox, Ishtar, a man-made god who is obsessed with fertility, expressed herself in bunny rabbits and procreation, deceiving people into believing that she creates life, but in the end, the one created in the minds of, it is the one who was created in the minds of those created by God, therefore doesn't even exist. Can I say that again? This This is what we do. This is what dualism does. The conqueror of death, hell, and the grave. Jesus himself becomes a story about the spring equinox. Ishtar, you guys know that's where we get the word Easter. I don't know if you guys knew that. Easter is a form of that word Ishtar, goddess of fertility. A man-made God who is obsessed with fertility expressed herself in bunny rabbits, procreation, and deceiving people into believing that she creates life but in the end is the one created in the minds of those created by God, therefore doesn't even exist. Why? Why do we end up with stuff like that? Because we can't handle union. Is this connecting at all, church? Again, as I said in the beginning, as much as anything, I'm not trying. I'm teaching, but I don't want to teach for you just to say, okay, I'll buy it. I want to provoke your thoughts. I want to provoke you into thinking, meditating on it and go, what does this fully mean? There's got to be something deeper here. I believe things like this and a lot of other bad theologies, they come into existence because we can't fully comprehend something and we still demand answers. And when we demand answers to things to things like this, we have to make things up to fill in the gaps. We have to make things up to fill in the gaps. You know, I'm, I'm a pastor, right? People come to me all the time. They'll ask me questions. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? There is something that has happened. I Thank God, I feel like I'm totally free of this thing because I have no problem saying, I don't know. (laughs) I have no problem saying that. I'm like, off the hook. But something has been built into the church and it's part of this dualism. It's called clergy and laity. Right? Right? You know the term, right? Clergy, clergy. The, The pastors, ooh, pastor. I don't like telling people when I go out around, I don't like telling people I'm a pastor, they start acting weird. They do start acting weird i don't like telling them that but this thing has crept into the church even of clergy and laity and so people in the congregation will take the clergy put them on some kind of pedestal as if they've got some special connection with god well of course they have a special connection with god guess what you do too but they don't look at the fact that they have this special connection with God. They come to the pastor and want answers for stuff and it forces the pastor because they feel obligated. They feel obligated to give answers to people who are asking questions. And then what happens is we take something that's mystical, bring it down into humanistic thinking and create theologies that are absolutely heretical. Where do we get Easter? Don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm not anti-Santa. I actually wear Santa hats sometimes during the Christmas season. Our family does. You hear what I'm saying? But I know the difference. I can celebrate and have a good time, but that's not, you know, that's just whatever. This is where a lot of bad theology comes from. Because sometimes things about him, specifically in this thing called union, which is the opposite of dualism, specifically in this thing called union with him, we can't figure it out. You know what? I pray that I never do this side of heaven, honestly. Because the minute I got God figured out, you ready? I reduce him into my image instead of me being conformed into his. The transformation stops at that point because I got it figured out. The minute I think I got it figured out, transformation in that area stops. Yeah. Yeah unlike all the other gods that we can look at, the Greek gods, the Hindu gods, all unlike all those other gods, those gods, they knew who they were, what they did to the people. They knew who they were and what they did and what they demanded. And the reason why is because they were created by man. You ask a Hindu what, um, what's one of their gods? I can't remember right now. Help me, Christiana. Shiva. Shiva. God of Shiva, the war, right? Destruction, Shiva. You ask a Hindu about Shiva, they're going to tell you everything what Shiva does. Why? Because it's not something that's God. It's something that was created by man. It was created by man because there was an inability to understand things that happened in the planet around them. And so they say, I have to have a category for this. I have to put it into something. This is what I'll do. I'll put it into this category here. Oh, wait, yet another thing's happened. Well, that's not Shiva. That's something else. So let's make this God over here. Have you ever noticed that? That all these religions have multiple gods because they can't find one that's all-encompassing. Like Paul says, I want to tell you who that unknown God is. I won't tell you who that is. We know that we as the church, this is what we're designed for. We're designed to have our minds transformed, as Andrew was talking about this morning. This I am a one-string guitar when it comes to that kind of stuff. If there's a life message, it's going to be about that right there. It's transformation. Transformation in the mind. Why? Because we have come into union with him. If the church gets a hold of that, if the church can stop living in dualistic thinking, I really do, at my very core, I believe change will begin to happen in the world. Change will begin to happen in the world. If we as Christians can recognize there's so much dualism inside of us, and here's how it sometimes manifests. You ready for another one? We get into crowds that don't worship like us, think like us, talk like us. Oh, God forbid, they're not even Christians. They're atheists. I mean, oh, wait, no, wait, let's take it a step further. They worship Satan. We get into crowds around people like that. We get timid, we get shy. We feel like we're like, oh my God, I got, you know, why, dualism. Somehow we think we're separate and we're alone in this and we don't have the ability to bring change in the situation right there, dualism. Because we see ourselves separate from God and we say things like, well, I need to go get in prayer. Dude, become like David where he says, I have become prayer. I have become prayer. My life lives in a constant union with him. So when I, in, when I enter into places like that, where there's even demonic Satan worship going on, I don't have to go, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do about this? I can look at it and go, heck yeah. yeah. Kingdom of God just came in here. <laughs> Hello, are you with me? Yes. Watch yourself. When you're around people, when you know God's prompting you to say something, do something, pray, heal, whatever it is, and you have that war going on inside of you, dualism. You're seeing some separation between God and you. Come on, I'm prophesying over you right now. You're seeing the separation. When I feel fear, I'm living in dualism. Wow. The incarnation, my God. God, what can you do with that? We celebrate it, and it's fun, and it's easy, and it's like this just sweet time that we have, and we do our Christmas Eve service, which we do, and it's wonderful. And maybe because it's wrapped around a baby, I don't know. I, I I don't, and the sweetness and the innocence of that, I don't know. But the fact that that baby was a representation of all humanity—unbelievable. No other god. Talk to anybody you want, believes anything else other than Christianity. No other God does something like that. There's two things they can't do. They can't enter into it with humanity and they can't raise from the dead. Unstoppable. Everybody stand up here. I'm just going to pray for us here. Wow. God, help us. Hmm. Oh, Jesus. I hope you're hearing my heart, church, in all of this. All the time, my desire has always been not to preach. I don't have a passion to preach, but I do have a passion to see transformation come. I have a passion for that. Let Holy Spirit provoke you. Let Holy Spirit provoke you in places where you just think that things are normal And you're gonna lay it all out on the table and you're gonna say, I'm gonna take what's normal, put it all on the table and say, Holy Spirit, show provoke me with things that I think are normal, which are not normal. Provoke me with things where I live in dualism and not in union in my mind. Hold your hands up. We call it assuming the position. (laughs) Assume the position. Why? It's just this, I feel an expectancy when we do stuff like this. Holding your hands out and you're just saying, God, I want everything that you have for me. I want every bit of revelation that you have for me. You can't reach God through your own logic. I know that because Jesus said he came to reveal the Father. There is no understanding of God without the revelation coming. So I'm praying right now, even as we're holding out our hands, that Holy Spirit, you would drop weighty, weighty truth bombs on us. Drop the heavy revy. Anybody want a heavy revy? You want that heavy revelation? Drop it right now, Holy Spirit. I pray you drop it into people's hands and on their hearts and on their minds. Lord, I pray the giddiness of your creation would begin to infect us as a church. And just as John wrote, we would hear about union. We would hear about connection so that our joy might be made full to become a joyous people. Anybody want more joy? That's right. Do you know something? I'm done praying. You know something? In the world, who does that? In the world, you have to do things in order to get joy to happen. As a believer, you rejoice, and then things good begin to happen. Hello? Hello? Why? I have the creator of the universe living inside of me, and part of that is Holy Spirit living inside of me, and how he manifests himself is called fruit, and part of this fruit is joy. If I wait for joy to happen, dualism. Somebody do something in order to make me happy. Abraham Lincoln once said, People are just about as happy as they make up their mind to be. It's true. I don't know if you thought that concerning Scripture and the Bible and Christianity. I don't know, but it's true. You're just about as happy as you make your mind up to be. Father, get us. Just get us with a whole revelation of incarnation, the truth of Jesus, the centerpiece of all creation, Jesus himself, being made manifest in this earth. Lord, we choose to celebrate it this year with a deeper, deeper connection. That when you were born, you took me with you. That when you died, you took me with you. When you were raised from the dead, you took me with you. And when you ascended to heaven, you took me with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hopefully that was helpful. Good. Man. I have about two more pages of notes, but I'll save you. I just, I believe, oh man, we're going to have so much fun this Christmas. We're going to have so much fun, so much joy just invading us if we just come back to this. So... Amen, amen, amen. All right, Jay, we'll have some prayer teams down here. If you guys need prayer for anything, we always, always, always want to tell people about this. If you don't know who Jesus is, but something's going on in your mind right now because you're hearing about it, these are the people to talk to you right here. If you need healing in your body, if you need somebody just to pray for you over something else, these are the people right here. They are hardcore set and believing with you and for you for whatever it is that you need. Amen? All right, we'll see you next week. Get ready next week all i'm saying thank you for listening to the acts 2 podcast love god love people and live life